Welcome to the show that gets Christians thinking about faith and politics. Get ready to challenge the status quo, expand your imagination, and tackle controversy head on. Let's stand together at the intersection of faith and freedom. It's time for the Libertarian Christian Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Libertarian Christian Podcast, a project of the Libertarian Christian Institute and part of the Christians for Liberty Network. I am your host, Doug Stewart, and I have with me today Angela McArdle, who currently serves as the chair of the National Libertarian Party and was a key organizer for the LA 2021 initiative to overturn the Los Angeles vaccine mandate. Angela's professional background includes over 13 years of litigation practice as a paralegal and organizational leadership in nonprofit organizations. She received her bachelor's degree from Biola and her paralegal certificate from UCLA. Thank you, Angela, for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. I've wanted to schedule something with you to talk about your Christian faith and talk about how you see your involvement in politics, because you are clearly very involved in what we call politics in modern day. And I'm really happy that we're able to make this happen, as, as I am going to have to do. Because LCI is a 501c3 nonprofit, we are not here to endorse any particular party or any particular caucus in a party. We're here to get to know Angela, and you're going to have to make your own judgments, and we don't make those for you on whether or not what Angela is doing in the LP and politics largely is worth supporting. That will be up to you, the listener. So LCI doesn't endorse anything, but I would say that on the one hand, it's very impressive what you and your colleagues have done and the kind of changes, which we will get into a little bit because we can talk about it. But I guess I would say, let's start, Angela, with a little bit of your testimony. Did you grow up Christian? Did you become a Christian later in life? Why don't we start with that? Sure. So I grew up in a Christian home and had my literal come to Jesus moment when I was seven years old in the church. My father is a minister. He pastored a Christian Missionary Alliance church while we were growing up. So I just feel really lucky that I was able to be brought up in the Christian faith and not have what seems to me for a lot of other people, a rough ride or a painful conversion moment later in life. You were talking on the, uh, with Jacob Winograd, I guess it was sometime last year, and you made this comment about saying the pledge to the flag in school and that you kind of brought your parents around to like, oh my goodness, there's a conflict here or something like that. Could you tell that story? I just thought that was really remarkable at that age. Yeah, so I was in first or second grade during Operation Desert Storm. I went to school at that point. Where was I? I think it was in San Antonio. Yeah. And we would have a Pledge of Allegiance in the morning, and then it would be immediately followed by a moment of silence for troops who were in Kuwait. And when you put the two right together, it made me a little bit uncomfortable Because during the moment of silence, we were all sort of instructed to pray silently for the troops. It's a public school. We're not supposed to be told to pray outright by the teachers, but we all, you know, kind of wink and nod and we're all (laughs) praying. And so I thought as a small child, like, does that mean that we're also praying to the flag Mm. when we do that right before? Like we're standing up, we're putting our hand over our hearts, we're swearing an oath. And so I, I asked my parents are we praying to the flag? Like, it seems wrong. It seems like the flag is an idol. And they kind of gave me a little bit of pushback. I'm like six or seven. And they're saying, no, 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 that's not what we do. And, you know, <laughs> I continued to sort of insist like, no, but it seems like I'm worshiping the flag and that's wrong. We're only supposed to worship God, right? Because the flag, what is the flag? 
and they kind of walked it back a little bit. And they, oh, maybe, okay, maybe you have some reasonable concerns. So that was an interesting experience growing up, you know, because I grew up in a very traditional conservative Christian home. Yeah, yeah. The Christian Missionary Alliance Church, is it typically kind of the rah-rah America kind of tradition? I haven't visited a CMA church in at least 15 years, but growing up, it was not. We had really strong emphasis on missions in other countries. So there were always constantly flags in the church, especially on Missions Week and international events. But it wasn't about necessarily having reverence for a flag or another country. It was just representation. Like, Mm -hmm. this is where all of our missionaries are at. Yeah. And so I didn't experience any raw, raw, like really kind of rabid political fanaticism until we moved to California when I was a teenager and I visited a Calvary Chapel church. That was an interesting experience for me. Hmm. Talk a little bit about the experience you had understanding government a little differently because Christian Missionary Alliance was very missions heavy in its presentation. Like it seemed like in your story that I've heard before that that was really instrumental in your understanding of the state. Yeah, it really was. I mean, it was really instrumental in my understanding of the state. It really informed how I view people with different skin colors and people who come from other cultures. I grew up in the South, mostly in East Texas is where my dad pastored that church, which is much more like Bible Belt vibes than Texas vibes. But Christian Missionary Alliance churches, culturally speaking only, I mean, I don't even know how to articulate this. Surface level culture, mm-hmm. very multicultural, as in you're exposed to people from different parts of the world, different foods, you know, that sort of thing. Not as though we're saying all cultures are equal or correct. One of the things that I was exposed to at a very early age were stories from missionaries coming back from all over the world, talking about their experiences in these other countries. And the experiences were usually like awful we would hear from people who were coming back and saying how blessed and grateful they were to hear from missionaries and missionaries talking about what a rewarding experience it was to be able to witness to people and save people. But man, the government stories were so bad. Mm. We met people who literally crawled out of Pol Pot's killing fields, who ran over the border after being shot, and barely escaped with their lives. We met people who had been locked in animal cages in China for not being part of the correct Christian church in China. We met people who had survived gulags, people who were Christians secretly in Soviet Russia. Like it was really insane. And so from a very early age, I was extremely distrustful of government because everything I heard was government tortures Christians over and over again. Was that just you or did was that sort of the vibe in your church? Like everybody had this sort of cynicism built into their understanding of government. I'd say that was a vibe with the majority of people in church. Maybe not everyone. I don't want to typecast everyone as being that awesome. But it was definitely like a recurring theme. And it was sort of, it wasn't really questioned because we were talking to people who'd had that experience. And it was global. It seemed to be a global phenomenon, not just here in the United States, not just China, not just one place. Yeah, I think that's one of the advantages of having a very global-minded church tradition rather than yeah. a, like just my locality and, oh yeah, we'll pay for some missionaries to go places, but we won't be missions-driven, is that you get that broader perspective that not all governments are allegedly supposed to be about freedom and, <laughs> and prosperity right. the way America is. And so, yeah, I mean, that's just really wonderful. As you graduated and went to college and stuff, what drew you to the legal profession? 
I think growing up, my parents had always said, oh, you should be a lawyer or you should be a politician or, you know, here I am. Were you good at arguing growing up? (laughs) Kind of close to both. Yeah, I really enjoyed (laughs) arguing. I really enjoyed debate. Honestly, what I wanted to do, I wanted to get my major in apologetics and just be a writer and hit the speaking circuit and really do that. But I got kind of discouraged, not personally discouraged, I guess, but other people discouraged me from pursuing that route and said, Angela, you're going to be really poor. It's going to be difficult to get a job and you're not going to be able to provide for your family that way. My father cautioned me on it too, you know, because he's been in missions his entire adult life. And he's like, Angela, think carefully before you get a degree in apologetics. Hmm. I'm trying to mentally connect why a degree in apologetics would lead to that in particular, like any less than being a pastor or being a professor somewhere. Well, I'm a woman too. And so uh, I guess back then that was, I mean, I take, you know, a fairly conservative approach on that. And I don't, yeah, not a big fan of women being in literal, like the head of the church. Okay. I understand what you mean. So you, you didn't want to be the next Beth Moore? Not really picking up on that vibe. Um, you know, <laughs> there's Deborah in the old Testament, there's exceptions to the rule, but we can't all be that exception to the rule. Yeah. And let's, let's not lead with that. Yeah, no, I understand. So you went into the legal profession then to kind of serve that sort of your skills and skill set? I love arguing. I love arguing. I love litigation. I got to tell you, I still do a little bit of litigation on the side. Mm. It's a real passion of mine. It's the only profession besides political sports where you could sort of, you can have an enemy, so to speak, and it's not personal. And you can, I guess, opponent. Opponent is a better word. You can have an opponent. It's your job to win. It's your job to beat them. And so you can sort of get it out of your system that way. Yeah. And I think it's, as long as you're not consumed by it, I think it's a healthy sure. thing to do yeah. for someone who's kind of got an aggressive personality. Well, it's one way to pursue justice too, especially Absolutely. if you have somebody who's being harmed. I mean, I don't know what particular types of litigation you're involved in, but justice is obviously very important to libertarians. I did a tremendous amount of pro bono legal work for people who are harmed by lockdowns. I did a lot of, Eviction defense for businesses that were getting evicted by landlords and the state, quite frankly, Mm. for defying lockdowns. I did a little bit of help and support with some criminal cases. Believe it or not, there were counties in California that hit businesses with attempted murder charges for staying open during the pandemic. All kinds of interesting stuff. And then I've done some stuff that's not political, just like straight there's occasionally the crazy slumlord story. And I know as libertarians, you know, we're usually pretty skeptical of that. But I've helped some people who mm-hmm. the building burned down, the fire department kicked their door in and the landlord was like, well, sucks for you. And so mm. I've been able to help people like all across the board in a variety of different interesting ways. And, and it's been really rewarding. Yeah. So then how did you get involved more directly in what we would call partisan politics? I mean, it's one thing to be involved in politics from a like, hey, I believe these views and I want other people to agree with me, but you're specifically in partisan politics. Sure. So I've been a libertarian since I was... Sounds like age seven, Angela. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Like an understanding, pronounced libertarian since I was a teenager. And I kind of skewed more towards the anarchist perspective. Like, you know, like I would begrudgingly vote in a presidential election. Sometimes I would just write in something random on the rest of the ballot. I try to vote libertarian for most of it. And I was also really politically active outside of that, you know, I guess apolitically active. So I spent a lot of time volunteering in Skid Row feeding the homeless population. 
with two different groups, Monday Night Mission and Food Not Bombs in Skid Row, in the worst part of L.A. Mm. And at a certain point, the city of L.A. decided that they were going to pass a bill that, quote unquote, banned food sharing and public rights of way, which was a homeless, an anti-feed the homeless bill. And so I got really politically active with the two groups. We put together a huge, huge rally in eight days, like 750 people shut down Hollywood Boulevard with permits, the whole thing. The city council decided not to pursue that bill anymore. They still haven't. It's been, now it's been 10 years since that happened. And I got really excited by it, right? Like I kind of got like bit by the bug. And I was attending Libertarian Party, just social events at the same time. And the two just sort of gelled, you know, someone asked me, do you want to run for office? And I said, oh, no, no, no. You know, I'm more of like an anarchist type than a get involved in politics, like, you know, run for office type. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I said, well, you know, you did this, you did that. You've done a really good job over here and there. Why don't you run for office? And I basically got worn down and finally decided to do it. What did you run for at that point? I ran for Congress in California's 34th district. So I ran for a special election. There were 20, geez, I think it might be 26 people running, counting all the right ends. It was Mm -hmm. nuts. It was an absolute political circus. 26 people? Yeah. (laughs) So I did not win. I did not come in last, though. But it was really fun because I got to... Did you come in third? That would be really appropriate, right? No, no. (laughs) It was towards towards the bottom, but not the bottom three. I'm trying to even remember. It was so crazy. But it was really fun. So then what, what happened after that then? After you got a taste for that? I got more involved in the Libertarian Party. I started chairing the L.A. County affiliate. I ran again in 2018 in the regular election. And I just started getting more committed to cleaning up the party. After I ran in 2017, I decided to join the Mises Caucus because I thought, this was really fun. This is really awesome. I love that there's a Libertarian Party. It's a little bit weird how they seem not so friendly to Christianity and they seem kind of like anti-Ron Paul. Not all of them, but some of them. And I think, you know, we should probably have a better presence here representing us so that we don't turn people off because I think there's a lot of Christians and people who are socially conservative who would be interested in voting for us if they felt like, well, maybe we don't hate them. I wasn't really particularly aware that the LP was not friendly to Christians. Was there a particular way in which, I mean, other than the abortion plank, maybe, was there any other ways that culturally they were just kind of like, yeah, Christians need not apply. Oh, yeah. I mean, well, there's a huge chunk of the membership was very hostile to Christianity on social media. And so that's just definitely one signaling mechanism. But the other one is if you take a look at the marketing and you scroll through emails from the Libertarian Party, promotional emails over the last seven years, you can look through and you can see tons and tons of stuff celebrating LGBTQ rights, pansexuality, transgender stuff, not just gay marriage the whole spectrum of it, and not a single mention of anything celebrating homeschooling, religious freedom, so on and so forth. There was a quote from the Church of Satan released on Easter, I think in 2016. Like It's just really tone-deaf and sensitive stuff over and over again. Mm, Okay. I'm not a member of the LP, and I certainly didn't pay too much attention to politics in that regard back then, so those things would be completely new to me. That's pretty enlightening. It'd be a turnoff, right? Like you would see that and go, uh, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, well, and it's interesting. I mean, I've been a libertarian long enough to see the shift in, we'll just be unnamed here, 
a shift in various organizations over the last two decades, and some of them are less unfriendly toward Christians, including ones that you might think are definitely hostile toward Christians because the people and those who are in the libertarian movement in those organizations are also Christians. And I think they've shifted to some extent. And it sounds like that's been part of your goal for the LP is to be at the very least not hostile to those who are Christians. How's that been going? I mean, I think it's been going really well. We've certainly gotten pushback from people who don't agree with us on it. But I think the message has been really clear. You know, things that we've been highlighting are the value of homeschooling, how important the family unit is. We've been showing women in ways, highlighting the contributions of women to libertarian culture outside of abortion. Like that's a big one. You know, when mm. we, whenever we talk about women's issues in the past, it would only be abortion. And yeah, I'm like, how right. about medical freedom, food freedom, like things that women care about that are family centric, like because the woman is like the cultivator of family. So it's been going really well, and I think it's been really well received. What do you think is the maybe current alleged threat that Christians pose being part of the Libertarian Party or just being part of the Libertarian movement? We can speak to that even. Like, I don't understand why people think Christians are a threat to liberty. Oh, I think that there's a really misguided notion that everybody who's a Christian wants to use government and make everyone else become a Christian. I think that's one of the things Mm, that freaks people out. Even within the liberty, like it seems to me that if somebody's wanting to join the LP or wanting to be part of an active liberty movement, that inherently that's not going to be true of those Christians. Yeah, I completely agree. And sometimes I do wonder if it's disingenuous or if people just, is it just like really driven by a hatred of Christianity? Mm. It's kind of interesting. It makes me wonder what some of those critics are doing in the party if they have visceral paranoia and mm-hmm. hatred of Christians, because it does seem unreasonable. It's never occurred to me to freak out and think like these other libertarians are trying to push an agenda of atheism. It just seems like you're unfriendly to Christians. I didn't ever think like, oh, they're going to support like atheistic laws. Yeah, right. Okay. Hello, everyone. It's Doug from the Libertarian Christian Podcast. You might notice already that this recording sounds quite a bit different from usual. In fact, it probably sounds pretty crappy. Well, I'm doing this to show you something pretty amazing. As you might know, the guys over at Podsworth Media have been producing my show for several years, quite a while, hundreds of episodes. And now they have a brand new online app for taking rough recordings like this one and making them sound a whole lot cleaner and a lot more listenable in just a few easy clicks. So here are some of the core features. They remove background noise. It reduces plosives, which is really handy for me because I often forget to put my pop filter on before I do a YouTube video. I often forget to put my pop filter on before I do a YouTube video because pop filters look terrible when you're on camera. It fixes clipping. It removes clicks and pops. It fixes clipping. It removes clicks and pops. It evenly levels dialogue so that you don't have somebody talking really quietly and then somebody talking really loud because they're too close to the mic or too far away from the mic. It evenly levels dialogue so that you don't have somebody talking really quietly and then somebody talking really loud because they're too close to the mic or too far away from the mic. How do you use it? It's easy. You go to podsworth.com, you click get started. And because you're a listener to one of the Libertarian Christian Institute's podcasts, you can get 50% off your first order by entering the promo code LCI50. That's LCI50, and you will get 50% off your first order. If you are doing anything like a podcast, a video, a sermon, an audiobook, anything that's spoken word, you want to use podsworth.com 
and clean up your audio to be even more professional and polished. You want to use podsworth.com and clean up your audio to be even more professional and polished. Have you had any opportunities to share the gospel because of your position there? That's a good question. I haven't had any times to really one-on-one sit down and share with anybody as my position in chair. I think I've been able to talk about it more on a larger platform, which is really cool. Well, it seems like maybe that's just this. I mean, obviously, we're only one year in, hardly. Right. And it seems like, obviously, you're, you got to start with conversations that demonstrate that Christians don't want to take over the government and make everybody Christians. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I guess you could say you're off to a good start there. <laughs> right, right. I'm trying to be a good messenger. And it's challenging. And sometimes I kind of shy away from talking about being a Christian in public because I'm under so much scrutiny. And politicians just do such a bad job. They just fail over and over again, with the exception of like Ron Paul and even Rand Paul. You know, I don't I don't see Rand Paul ever acting unhinged, you know, and un- unprofessional. Like, yeah, it's a tough, challenging job. And so it's a tall order to be a Christian role model for someone if you're in politics. Well, and you have to be very mindful of not using your Christianity or Christian faith as a sort of virtue signal. Yep. I mean, that's very clear. I mean, my goodness, that's very clear that both the Republicans and the Democrats do that because they have to signal that, oh, I'm not your opponent because I'm going to call myself a Christian, even though like, really, are you? Sometimes it's just like, we can tell you're using it as a badge. And so it's a turnoff in and of itself for somebody like you to do that too. Yeah. One of the things that I do try to push through the party that I think is very Christian, but it's also very libertarian, is mutual aid and helping people when they're in really difficult positions. So, you know, when that nasty hurricane hit Florida, Several months ago, I made sure that we had relief efforts going on down there. I tried to organize the same thing with Ohio and it was a little trickier because the state affiliate was so overwhelmed, I think, with Mm -hmm. other things going on. But I am trying to do sort of those things and try to have, you know, like, let's do some things that Christians are known for doing and let's do them right. And let's pull it off and let's do it with grace and compassion and not in a smug, condescending way. Yeah. Well, and... Also, part of what you're doing is building coalitions and working with people who aren't going to align perfectly. I mean, who does, right? But you have to work with people. I mean, you helped do the Rage Against the War Machine. I mean, there were a lot of complications with that because there were a lot of people with varying views. I mean, Ron Paul, Tulsi Gabbard, Jimmy Dore, like these are a bunch of different people, right? And you have to build coalitions with people who are not like-minded. Yeah, I do. And that's been, actually, that's been one of the most rewarding experiences. You know, like people within the Libertarian Party fight each other so hard. And sometimes I think it's because the stakes are so small, you know, it's because we want to be in complete control of the narrative and have what we think is our best face forward. But working with people outside of the party has actually been pretty easygoing. The fighting is way less intense. People treat each other really well and everybody's just really gracious and grateful to each other. So in that respect, I think you do see like the more Christian side of the party, if that's what you want to call it. Sure. Yeah. What do you think of the phrase, Jesus was not political? That's often thrown around a lot. And I mean, our Facebook page and stuff. I think Jesus was walking around and operating in a very political environment. He was not part of the political process, but he certainly commented on politics. I mean, I don't know how you could completely separate Jesus from politics. Yeah, yeah. 
I've often wondered why it seems difficult for people to say that there's a political component to what the message of the gospel is. I mean, for someone to say Jesus is Lord in the first century, that means Caesar is not. And that's an overt sort of implicit, uh, sorry, I shouldn't say overt and implicit in the same sentence, but that was a very understood component of what it means to say Jesus is Lord because Caesars were going around saying, no, we are Lord and we are the son of God and we will bring peace and, and, and all of that. And now the gospel's coming along and it's like, nope, the gospel of the kingdom is that Jesus is. And for Jesus to not be political whatsoever just seems really, I don't know, I guess it just seems very American because we've separated, or very Western civilization because we separate religion and politics so cleanly. I agree with you. And I kind of, I try not to dip my toe too much into eschatology because I think that it's very stressful and it can pull you out of the here and the now. But a lot of the World Economic Forum stuff, I think that it's appropriate to push back against that sort of as a callback to what was going on in the world while Jesus was present and then the 60 years following, you know, when the rest of the New Testament was carved out. Because I do think that there's sort of this like false God vibe going on with some of our world leaders. I would draw a distinction between that and sort of the like weird fervor that some people have for Donald Trump and other politicians. Mm -hmm. I do think there's a little bit of a false idol, false religion vibes going on. I think it's good to push back against that stuff. Yeah. It seems to me that the way of Jesus runs parallel to the way of Rome, or if you want to go back further and also include the book of Revelation, the way of Babylon. Yes. I recently recorded an episode. I don't remember if it's going to come after or before this episode releases with Scott McKnight on the book of Revelation and what he is calling the theopolitical vision, which is very much aligned with the way libertarians think about the state. And it just seems, I don't know, as a libertarian, it's one of those, like, it just seems so clear to me, kind of, you know, you identify the state as this beast and it's just not good. So, yeah, I I don't know. I lost my train of thought there, but I don't know if you want to respond at all. Yeah, I think right now in the libertarian ecosystem and the party, there is very much like an awareness that there is a one world government apparatus that is behaving in a very beast-like manner. You know, whether that's the beast or not, whether you think a literal end times was coming, dispensationalist or otherwise, everyone's pretty much on red alert for what's going on with global government. And we see those analogies and we're very, very cautious of engaging, you know, and following that path. Yeah, yeah. What's your take lately on the rise of nationalism and Christian nationalism? Oh, man. I mean, it bums me out about Christianity. When I say that, I don't mean my faith, but I mean (laughs) Christianity Inc., if we could refer to it as that. That works. It really bums me out. I think it's just going to be a huge turnoff for a lot of people. I don't think that Christianity should be part of reactionary politics. It seems weaponized and it seems angry. And I would much rather Christianity be associated with, you know, like wisdom, skepticism of the world, but not raging against it. Yeah, we don't know what's going to happen, right? And so if you see this huge wave of Christian nationalism come and and you see it get crushed, I think that that's going to blackpill a lot of people on Christianity, especially because it seems like a really shallow two-dimensional faith. And I don't think that that's the answer especially coming on the heels of what I consider like a colossal failure of the purpose-driven church agenda. It's like we're going to have another agenda associated with Christianity instead of it just being a relationship with Christ and 
the essence of Christianity. Yeah. Those are actually pretty poignant thoughts, I think, because it speaks to the disappointment in how Christians, some Christians, obviously not all, are behaving and are leaning and sort of maybe being swept away in the madness of the the support for either certain individuals or certain sort of streams of thought about what it means to be a nation, that kind of thing. So I really appreciate those thoughts. Hi, everyone. This is Alex Bernardo. If you're enjoying this podcast, you may want to check out the other shows in the Christians for Liberty Network, such as my podcast, the Protestant Libertarian Podcast, where I explore the relationship between biblical studies, theology, political philosophy, history, and economics. The Christians for Liberty Network is dedicated to bringing a variety of content you love, just like what you're hearing on this episode right now. Go ahead and finish this great episode. Then you can go and check out the Protestant Libertarian Podcast. Back in, I think it was last year when you were talking to Jacob Daniel, you guys talked a little bit about the remnant from Isaiah. And I think it's one element of my libertarianism slash Christian faith that I haven't delved into too much. Could you elaborate on that a little bit? Like explain what the remnant is and what's the purpose of understanding what the remnant is? I think it's such a really important biblical lesson. So to give a summary from the Old Testament, a very crude one, God goes to the prophet Isaiah and he tells him, get up, I need you to go out and preach to all the people. And Isaiah's like, okay, you know, and then God says, but here's the catch. They're not going to listen to you. They're going to laugh in your face. They're going to rebuke you. They're going to drive you out and hate you. And so the prophet says, whoa, that doesn't sound like a good time. You know, what's the point in doing that? And God says, well, it seems like you don't understand. So let me tell you, it's not about all of those people. It's not about those masses. It's about everyone else, people who are followers of God, who are scattered across the place. They're demoralized. They think they're all alone. Like that's the remnant. So your job when you go out and preach this message, even though the masses reject you, is to gather up and re-energize and motivate the remnant and bring them together. And the parallel that we have in the Libertarian Party is that the Mises Caucus and new leadership, we're out to gather up the Ron Paul remnant the libertarians who are principled, who are courageous, who maybe supported the Ron Paul campaign and then dropped off feeling very discouraged and demoralized and thinking, you know, like the world isn't ready for libertarianism. It's too evil. People reject it. Our job has been to go out and gather those people up and tell them, you know, like take heart, have courage. Like there is purpose. There is a reason to be a libertarian. You're not alone. And that's what we mean when we talk about the remnant. Excellent. I think there's a lot of parallels there. And I mean, even with preaching the gospel, we can kind of understand that in a society that's often against Christianity. I mean, some are not, but that works in a dual fashion. So I've really been glad to have you on here to talk about your faith and how that affects your politics, how you are engaged in politics. And I just want to end with a quick lightning round. I just only have a few questions you can answer briefly, or you can elaborate if you feel like you need to. So are you ready? Yeah, let's do it. All right. If you had to predict which state would secede first, which would it be? Oh, man. I'm going to say New Hampshire. New Hampshire. Which would you hope would secede first? Texas. My state. I was going to say California. (laughs) It would be nice to see them go, right? All their politics. California, well, maybe. Yeah, maybe. No, I'm kidding. If you were a single-issue voter, what would that issue be? War. Very much an anti-war voter. All right. Excellent. Although I think if you start with the Fed, then, but that's not really ever on the ballot or anything like it. No one's really talking about that. If Joe Exotic won the LP nomination, who would be easier to beat, DeSantis or Trump? Oh, 
Trump. Probably a little bit of a crossover there. (laughs) All right, last one. Who would you prefer to be in charge of the LP Twitter account, Michael Malice or Jacob Daniel Winograd? Oh, mean question. I'm going to have to go with my guy Malice. All right. Well, Angela, I appreciate (laughs) there's a lot of inside humor going on in there. I appreciate you joining us here and I wish you the best in succeeding at helping libertarians understand Christians can be libertarians because that's what LCI is about. So we definitely have a parallel mission in that regard. And I appreciate you giving us your time today. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me on. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Libertarian Christian Podcast. If you liked today's episode, we encourage you to rate us on Apple Podcasts to help expand our audience. If you want to reach out to us, email us at podcast at libertarianchristians.com. You can also reach us at LCI Official on Twitter. And of course, we are on Facebook and have an active group you are welcome to join. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. The Libertarian Christian Podcast is a project of the Libertarian Christian Institute, a registered 501c3 nonprofit. If you'd like to find out more about LCI, visit us on the web at libertarianchristians.com. The voiceovers are by Matt Bellis and Catherine Williams. As of episode 115, our audio production is provided by Podsworth Media. Check them out at podsworth.com. Thank you.